This is the art of belonging. It's noticing the details and what it means to belong in a place. It's not so much that helps me feel I belong in a bigger political sense, but I think I belong in the person I've become. A series telling the human stories behind art. Henry Moore really stood out to me because I could see that he put his artwork on council estates in East London, and I grew up on the council estate in North London, so I didn't know art could come out and reach you in that way. In this episode, artists, an author and a poet reflect on the experience of art and belonging. I think the best paintings are those that have gaps in them, and I think this about novels too, actually, and music and all kinds of art, that there needs to be space for the viewer, the reader, the listener to step in and fill in the gaps. To belong, to feel an affinity with something. Um, it gets very busy at Tate, as you, as you can tell. And sometimes you need a space where you can hide away from everything. Just cut yourself off from all of the business. So I often go to the Mark Rothko, Sigrid Murad's room just to get that sense of belonging. It allows me to make that reconnection with what I think is important to myself. And sometimes a lot of the noise can create a different kind of ambience and different kind of environments. And a lot of times you just need something a bit more toned down and quiet to reconnect. Andrew Mashigo, I work with the audience department at Tate, and I'm an artist myself. Just outside there we've got the Claude Monet paintings, and it's quite bright, but then you come into this space, and all of a sudden it almost requires the hush, even without telling people to keep quiet or turn down the voices. There's a sense, we always talk about it being a sense of being in a cathedral or a church. I don't know if you know this, but Rothko actually required the install for this space as we see it. So we've got dark colored walls, gray color. We've got a huge space with high ceilings. And also we've got the very soft lighting. And all of those components actually create this, people say, immersive space, which sometimes can be a space for contemplation. But also, for some people, it's almost a reflection of what Rothko was going through at the time he painted this series of paintings called the Seagram Morales. And people would say, oh, Rothko was a man who had so much issues with depression and it was, he had moments when it was really sad. And we have pictures of him in the studio actually uh, sitting down, having a, a, cigar, a cigarette or, or, or drink and just almost looking out into open, empty space. And one other thing about this works that gives you the sense of belonging is they almost look like portals. So for me, it's a, it's a space where I can get away into another dimension. American author F. Scott Fitzgerald said of art, you discover that your longings are universal longings, that you're not lonely and isolated from anyone. You belong. That's my kitsch corner of all the Girl of the Pearl earring things that are, there are in the world that I've got. So someone knitted me a Girl of the Pearl earring doll, 
Someone sent me a Miffy girl with a pearl earring. Yes, I have a rubber duck girl with a pearl earring in the bathroom. There's chapstick, there's candles, there's water bottles. She's on everything. Um, it's a little scary. My name is Tracy Chevalier, and I'm a novelist best known for Girl with a Pearl Earring, which is a historical novel about a Vermeer painting. When I look at that painting, I never quite know whether she's happy or sad. And I've discovered that often when I'm happy, she's happy, and when I'm sad, she's sad. So I think that's what good art does, is that it it gets you to look at yourself. And I think art, in a lot of ways, has a, a neutral, a very active neutral feeling that accompanies us. And that's, I think, what I'm always looking for when I go into a gallery and I look around, I might see 20 paintings in a, um, in a room and none of them does anything for me except maybe one does or maybe a corner of one does. And there's just something about that corner that makes that vibration between me and it. And, and that's always the feeling that I'm looking for. And if it's, something, it's always something that I want to have. What we're seeing now is uh, we've got about 10 kids um, with about 11 to 14 years old just coming to the space and really happy, jovial and almost talking at the top of the voice. And actually now they begin to quieten down. Again, there you go. The sense of this immersive contemplative space seems to have taken control on its own. And once in this very corner bench, I've actually seen a lady sitting down there and clearly sobbing. It wasn't a painful cry, but it, it was definitely something about the space or how she felt. And initially my human instinct was to go to her and ask her if there's anything we can help her with. But as soon as I felt that, I thought, actually, no. She's probably just going through the Rothko experience where she's just making that connection with the work. Belonging. A sense of being at home, of being a part of a place. My name's Lubaina Himid, and I'm an artist. I came to Britain when I was four months old with my mother, who had gone to Zanzibar to marry my father. And in those 60-odd years in between, I've negotiated in different ways how to feel part of this place. But if you are a person who has come from somewhere else and every day people ask you where you're from, you develop a script. So, of course, my script reads that I'm from Zanzibar and it sounds like a movie. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It sounds exotic and other. And then it was more important than almost anything else. I made a big installation once called Naming the Money. And that process of naming what is a person worth, what is their value, how much do they contribute to the bigger economy of a place, all those, even those are those kind of big things, fell into the background compared to the talking about what it means to belong in a place. <laughs> Abstract paintings, if I find them. That's messy. 
My name is Anahita Rezwani Rad. I'm from Tehran and I have been living in the United Kingdom for 14, 15 years now and I paint. One of my problems being here after 14 years is I feel like I'm cushioned, I'm separated from all the harshness and realities that goes around the world. But my painting links me to these other things, to what else is going on in the world. So in Iran, it's like, it's so controlled what you can say and what you cannot say. But then when I came here, I suddenly coming to a place and I kind of straight away became art student to stay on. So suddenly you're allowed to do whatever you want to do, paint whatever, say whatever, do whatever. And that is a, such a huge thing that paralyzes you. Sometimes I feel like, oh, it was good that somebody told me what I couldn't do, so I was left with one option and I did that. So it was really, really tough at the beginning, and you're dealing suddenly with all, all these, like homesickness, immigration, identity, memory. You're dealing with all of that, and so much of the painting is about understanding. So in order to explain things to myself, I started painting from photos that... People get in the media here, which is all about guns and women wrapped up in black chadors, and to deal with what it is, that part of my identity. And my friends ask me, why do I paint such, like, violence painting or so much war and so much, like, soldiers and guns? I don't know, because I have a really nice life here now, but I feel like it's, it's a kind of homesickness. <laughs> I'm trying to repeat because I, I was living during the war for eight years. So obviously, like the school and the television and the radio is all covered with soldiers. And you feel that you are living in an environment of really close proximity to violence and anything can happen to you any day. But I really think it's part of like trying to still be part of the, I don't know, life country whatever I left 15 years ago and still belong to it and still be part of it so I kind of my paintings keeps me grounded I feel to belong to feel connected and content in the moment I started to look at my day as a series of small things that come together. So I do kind of notice the light early, 5.30 in the morning, in the summer months in the north of England. I do notice when it's dry and sunny and not raining. I do notice what kind of rain it is. I do notice, you know, the incredible differences in green, which if I was trying to paint green, I would have gone mad. <laughs> It's easier to try to paint grey than it is to try and paint green. So I'm noticing those tiny things all the time. And I suppose the people that I talk to all day are artists, either because I'm working at the university and I'm talking to artists who are my colleagues or they're artists who I'm teaching or they're artists who I'm on the phone to, who are working in other cities and... That's kind of really privileged thing. And you always get to the end of a day and they've told you things that you didn't know at the beginning of the day. And so it's noticing the details and 
it's not so much that helps me feel I belong in the bigger political sense, but I think I belong in the person I've become. So I don't at all feel, I mean, I haven't for a long time, but, you know, I don't really feel I wish I was someone else or somewhere else or doing something else. It feels, in a way, as right as it's going to be to be this person that I am. Russian writer Leo Tolstoy said, Art is a microscope which the artist fixes on the secrets of his soul and shows to people these secrets, which are common to all. My name is John Hegley and I am a gallery viewer and I write poems and songs and do drawings and educational work. And a friend, I was talking to a friend of mine about the value of art, as well as giving pleasure to the viewer. It can be a very important thing, the making of art for mental health, for well-being. And I've been looking at the painting by Richard Dadd, Flight Out of Egypt, uh, which hangs in the Tate Britain Gallery, because I think Richard Dadd uh, remained ill with delusions, it's a very tragic story that he took his father's life in um, a mad episode of madness. And he was put in Bedlam, I believe it was called then, a mental institution, but was allowed to paint. I believe it gave him a sense of being at peace to some extent as, as much as could be managed. I just think it's very important to have that opportunity, to have an, a mission, to have a purpose... And art can give that to people. And Flight Out of Egypt was created while he was there. And it says something about how important it is for people in institutions of all sorts to be able to have a purpose. There are films made by the Tate Gallery, including people who work in the gallery, asking them to choose favourites. And this was a lad, and I, I haven't got his name actually, but um, perhaps we can find that. We were keen on the lad who spoke in the Tate Gallery film about how Richard Dad had struggled with madness but still could create this work that made this young man such a fan. This crammed crowd which echoes the loud conflagration he meets at the station each day on his way to his gallery job. All sorts of people, a melee, a milling, a spilling, a throbbing humanity held in their moment of massing and flight. Yes, we liked how the lad with the job in the gallery liked Richard Dadd's flight out of Egypt and shed on a painting his light. When I look into it and I find the story behind it, that really gets me on board, and that's what happened with, um, with this artwork. My name's Corey Samuel. I'm the lad with the job in the gallery. And I do love that painting by Richard Dadd. The thing with Richard Dadd's work is it's really visually busy and intimidating to look at. And I think if you did look at it just once, you, you wouldn't like the painting. But I'm a big fan of challenging perceptions, especially artworks I don't like the look of at first. But then the more you look at it, the more detail you can see. You can see the characters communicating with each other. And then it makes me think, I wonder what they're saying to each other. I wonder what a market 
place in Egypt would be at this time. I wonder all the different ethnicities coming together from all over Africa and Europe. The more I look at it, the more it resonates with me. And I was just blown away that you could have an artist this talented that was committed criminally insane into a psychiatric hospital, you know, about 200 years ago almost. And it kind of made me challenge my perceptions of mental health awareness. So I work in the shops at Tate Britain and I also work for a youth charity called Renaissance Foundation where I bring young people on workshops and live visits and try and inspire them out of their situation. I feel that with art you can be creative and you can, you've got one, you've got escapism, going to a completely different world that you're you're not familiar with and kind of enjoying that creativity but then also you uh, can tell your story and I think that's really powerful for a young person who hasn't doesn't have control of their situation their own money their home life school life to be able to control their creative output and to make their story tell it in a way that that they want it to be told I think that's one of the only kind of platforms young people have to show what their worth is in the world at the moment. Belongingness. To feel accepted. I still get asked, because there's a whole new set of people asking me this question, where am I from? But I feel that I've been enabled, and a lot of the time by curators and people to do with culture and art to feel as if I am part of the bigger story of British art. And even if you're not actually changing something, if you then feel changed by that because you've been enabled to have a space or a, a place at the negotiating table, then how you feel is different. You already are enabled to belong at the negotiating table. I think whenever you make something, whatever the the end product is, whether you're painting something, drawing something, sewing, quilting something, you have a, a relationship with it and it, it accompanies you through your time making it. When I was working um, on quilts in Wandsworth Prison for Fine Cell Work, a charity that goes into prisons and helps prisoners learn to sew... One of the things I said is when you're holding a quilt in your lap and working on it, it, it literally takes on your imprint. It takes on your skin, sometimes your blood if you prick your finger. It takes on your hair. It takes on your sweat. It, it takes on all of the – every inch of it you know well um, from feeling it, touching it, and, and looking at it. And, um, and I think – all kinds of art is like that. I sometimes wonder how artists manage to give away what they make and then never see it again. Having said that, I've made quilts and given them to people and I'm never going to see them again. But the joy I feel that I know that there's a part of me that's gone with them um, is very strong. To belong. To feel a sense of recognition. I'd been to Tate Modern at a school visit when I was in secondary school but even my experience then it was quite intimidating I didn't know that I could actually go in there I thought I had to have some kind of 
knowledge about art to, to walk in the door and appreciate the place. But then I realised when I went there, it wasn't that way at all. And then I, I constantly see a theme of uphill struggle, artists trying to tell their story or get across their vision against, you know, the perception of their work. So Henry Moore really stood out to me because I could see that he put his artwork on council estates in East London, like specifically in Stepney. And I grew up on the council estate in North London, so I didn't know you could art could come out and reach you in that way. I thought that someone who's so celebrated as one of the greatest British artists ever, whose work is like hidden away in the, in the gallery, could come out and reach you in the place that you live. So I really liked seeing that there's more to it than the veneer of it being in a gallery that made me feel that I could tell my story and I could make my own artwork. And the thing that it changed, I realised I didn't need an education in art to do that. I just needed to do it myself. I love Francesco Goya. <laughs> love everything about the subject matter, the technique, the wit, everything about it. I look at I print them, I buy the postcards, I have them in my telephone. I just look at them over and over again. And the fact that it's so dark... And there are some really serious paintings he has made or drawings and etchings. Uh, it's nice for me to see that place in another person and it's okay to go as far as you go. It doesn't matter if... Because some of the drawings and paintings he's made are really gruesome and I'm happy to see that it's okay to do that. Because things, like, things I paint, okay, it gets a... Whoa, or oof, or... But it's good to have a safe place to be yourself or think about whatever you want to think about and say whatever you want to say. And if it, never is, if it never goes out there, that's okay. I mean, like, it's not very profound. I like Goya, but I love Goya. <laughs> it's just fantastic. I can never have enough Goya. French artist Paul Cézanne said, Art is a harmony parallel with nature. There is a pulling and pushing back and forth between you and the work of art. And that's what I love about art, is that it always has me working. I've likened it before to a, a song that ends on the second to last chord, so there's no resolution. And the resolution is what you make in your own mind of it. So you have to take it beyond what's hanging on the wall, and then it becomes you. It becomes three-dimensional, if it isn't already. It becomes a part of you, and if you can't finish it, you spend the rest of your life trying to resolve it into that final chord of harmony. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do rate, review and subscribe. The Art of Belonging was produced by Sarah Cudden and Alia Kassam. It was a Falling Tree production for Tate. With music from Camilo Tirado and the Cabinet of Living Cinema. The reader was me, Talisa Teixeira. With special thanks to all our contributors. To find out more about Tate Podcasts, visit tate.org.uk forward slash podcasts or subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Acast. Listener.